Thank you very kindly, my friends. As I listen to Ralph Abernathy and his eloquent and generous introduction, and uh, then thought about myself, I wondered who he was talking about. <laughs> it's always good to have your closest friend and associate to say something good about you. And Ralph Abernathy is the best friend that I have in the world. Okay. As you know, that was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., Eddie Rye, Jr. I welcome you to the Urban Forum Northwest today. We have a number of people we want to talk with today. And we're going to start with uh, the new pastor from the Mount Zion Baptist Church in Seattle, uh, Reverend Dr. Paris Lee Smith, uh, who comes to us from Washington, D.C. But he's also from Detroit, Michigan. And there's a guy sitting next to me that's from Detroit. And I want him to say hello to, I want them to say hello to each other. What up, though, my brother? How are you? Yep. What up, though, Brother Rose? How are you, man? It's just a blessing to be with you and to see you and to uh, hear your voice today, man. It's just an honor to be in this space. Thank you. Thank you. And Papa Rock, congratulations. You're doing an amazing job with your show, creating a level of awareness that's so sorely needed. And Pastor, I look forward to coming to the congregation and coming to support you as well. Looking oh, forward wow. to meeting you in person. Oh my God, what a, what a blessing. It'll be like a family reunion all over together. If I just happen to throw up them Earl Flynn signs, don't. Let's don't do it, boss up. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. Thank you, Brother Ryan, for your kindness today. Oh, absolutely. So we know that you just got here, but I just wanted uh, the listeners to hear a little bit about Reverend Dr. Paris Lee Smith. I know you've been preaching for uh, 37 years. You're a theologian, you're a professor. And uh, uh, what I like about you is the fact that you're out in the hood with your sleeves rolled up, trying to make a change, a positive change for all the God's children that are in need. And I'm, I'm really impressed with you taking on the role of, of a servant. Well, again, thank you, Brother Rye and uh, my big brother Rose. Thank you guys for your kindness today. Again, I'm Paris Smith. I'm from the Black Bottom of Detroit, Paris, you know, uh, you know, Paradise Alley, Brewster Projects. I'm just a regular guy that God decided to use uh, later on in life to do something with his life. I've come through the streets of Detroit, born and raised in the D. I am from Hutzel Hospital, AKA Women's Hospital, right? So I'm, you know, I'm originally from the street and I understand that, grew up with parents who were drug dealers and all of my friends in the city and Jalen Rose can attest to that. When we grew up in the 60s, 70s and 80s, we were just lucky enough just to make it out, let's know, do something with our lives and again, I always say this, I'm super proud. It brings tears to my eyes of joy to see Brother Rose and Chris Weber and others who are from the D who I've done fantastic in their life. And I'm just thankful that God has allowed me to have the grace to serve at the Mount Zion Baptist Church, a historical African-American social justice conscious church in the Pacific Northwest. And again, I am not Jesus, so I don't sit on the throne. I believe in getting on the street with the people, be face-to-face. -face. I'm a pedestrian pastor, right? There's nothing, nobody can say that I'm I'm arrogant or cocky when it comes down my service for humanity because, you know, I come from the bottom. When you come from the bottom up, you don't have a, a arrogance. You have a certain kind of confidence that you have survived so many things that you can actually offer hope to other people. And I think my job as pastor and priest and prophet of the community of the Central District is just that, for me to help people to understand 
understand, I don't care how far down you are, there's always an opportunity for you to come up. And I have some solutions, I have some opportunities, I have some wisdom to be able to share with both men, women, married couples, LGBTQIA+, no matter. We are not accepting any excuses at Mount Zion. And again, I think upon the legacy that was built and laid there for me, uh, Dr. Uh, McKinney and my mentors, Dr. Jeremiah Wright, my big cousin, Dr. J. Alfred Smith Sr., and all of the people who believe in what God has called me to do, this is the season for Mount Zion to actually shine in such a way that we begin to empower people and we begin to help people to revolutionize their lives. The pandemic taught us this one thing. God is still God regardless. And so here we have an opportunity as a black church, Afrocentric church, African-centered church, but with an inclusive mentality that we accept everybody to really do something to impact and help change this uh, society that we live in here in Seattle. And I just think that God did not call me all the way from Washington, D.C. for me to sit on my hands and for me to walk around bragging about I'm the pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church no, sir, not at all. God called me to be a servant, to be out here on the street, talking to people, showing up when I'm supposed to show up, doing what I need to do to help make a difference and bring impact and change to people's lives. Because I live downtown, right? I see our brothers and sisters bent over from crack and meth and anything else that they can sort, snort, shoot, or inhale in their lives. I see that every day. I see that and live with that every day. And again, Brother Rose, you can attest to this. You know what it was like back in the D in the Brewster Projects. You know what it's like back in the Smith home, the Jeffries Projects. You know what it's like when you went to Fudge's Barbershop. You know what it looked like when we was on Woodward and John R. and Brush and Myrtle, a.k.a. Cass Corridor. You know that. And so you know that I, you know I'm, I'm telling the truth, so I'm not trying to be some hero or everything. I'm just telling you the reality. We have seen this before. We both have grew up in it and grew out of it. And I think God has empowered me to be able to testify to people. There is another way if you make the choices. And again, I've never been arrested. I've never been high. I've never had an overdose. I never snorted, never did anything and lived in the house with a father who was a heroin addict, a mother and father who were drug dealers. And both of them were pimps. They had women that they prostituted. And none of that is my record. So I tell people, don't tell me about the environment that you came from. I'll tell you that you can make some different choices. Judge Judge um, Greg Mathis made different choices. Michael Eric Dyson made different choices. Brother Jalen Rose made different choices. Chris Weber made different different choices. I made different choices. And anybody else that's from Detroit that has made different choices, that is not our story. But we do know that that reality was what we lived through. Yes, we grew up with all of that going on, with the Earl Flans, BKs, Pony Down, YBIs, GPs, and every other game. We used to get along together. And then all of a sudden, we had drug wars. It tore up the city, but our but our city was such a great city that even in the midst of a neutral zone, we knew how to dance together. We knew how to party together. We could go to Belle Isle with a truce saying the east side going to not go fight the west side. When, when the police were doing police brutality, when the AW band was downtown, I was there in the middle of it. Earl Flynn's and BK's came to a truce not to tear up the city because of police brutality. And our very own mayor, my very own mayor decided to change the trajectory of what was going on in, in Detroit by talking to the gang leaders. Our very own um, uh, police chief, Mayor Hart, right? These guys were trying to make a difference and help empower the city to do something else. And here, we are recipients of that grace, that knowledge. And I'm here in Seattle saying, okay, God, what do you want me to see? And how do you want me to help? And anything that I could do, Brother Ryan, 
um, to make a difference and make an impact in this community. That's exactly what I'm here to do. I believe in preaching a gospel that's going to liberate people. Don't oppress people. Don't marginalize people. I just preached that Jesus came into this world last Sunday to liberate us from the oppression because he was born under Roman oppression. So Jesus wasn't sitting high. He came down low, but he showed us that we can win because every Friday night is going to bring a Sunday morning resurrection of power. And I, and I just really believe that's what God has called me to do is to make a difference in this city. And I thank God for the favor he's given with me, given me by you, Brother Rye, as well as our mayor has embraced me to help me to see the city and help heal Seattle and make Seattle a place where everybody feels that they are valued love, and they are protected in the city. And I think that's the job of the pastor um, in this season. And I'm grateful to, to serve at Mount Zion. Can you uh, share with our listening audience a little bit about your background, your preaching background? Uh, wow. About your uh, theologian and also uh, you were also a professor. Right. So um, currently I'm also, I'm a student um, at the Anderson um, University under the Clamp Divinity School. I'm doing a PhD in biblical preaching. I have a master's degree in theology. I have a doctorate degree in ministry. Uh, my focus is on African-American preaching. I'm a graduate of Reference High School. I went to Wayne State University as well as Tennessee School of Religion. And so all of my training has been focused on the empowerment of the black church, right? I've worked at Ford Motor Company for 32 years. This is my fifth church. Um, that I've pastored. This is my fifth city that I've lived in. And so for me, it's an opportunity for me to bring to the forefront of our brothers and sisters across this nation and in this city to help them understand there's jobs that are available for you. There is economic employment available for you. I mean, Seattle has about 14, 15,000 jobs that are available right? There are more programs here than there are in any other state. And we're fortunate to have um, King County, right? We're the only state that has a county named after and in honor of Dr. King, right? And so here we have an opportunity to speak to the possibilities of all people. Before I came here, I understood that um, there was this, this law that was put in place that Black, Latino, and Asian people could not own land without having the permission to live on the land by white people who owned everything. But thank God the grace has been given to us to change that narrative. And I just think that we need to take those, those things that are being changed and opportunities for us to empower. And so for me, I've been preaching for 37 years, called to preach at the Great Ebenezer Missionary Baptist Church, 18751 Finkel Avenue between Midland, between uh, Grand, Grand River and Evergreen, whether, whether late, now he's late, he's going on to glory, whether late Dr. William H. Murphy Sr. was my pastor. I served under Tillis Chapman uh, over at Galilee as well as E.L. Branch. I am a black Baptist preacher that believes in celebrating on Sunday morning, but I will make sure you get some meat before we celebrate with that gravy, right? That is, and so I was divinely called to preach at 17. I mean, and actually, divinely called to preach at 17, didn't actually get my trial sermon until I was 20 years old because Pastor Murphy said, as crazy as the streets are and what you come from, we got to make sure that you got the thing right. And trust me, God told me to either preach or die I have been preaching this year, 37 years. I'm alive because I said yes, because all the stuff that I said in Detroit, I should have been wiped out a long time ago. But somehow, some way, God in his ultimate plan of my life knew that in 1963, a few, hours, a few days before they killed Kennedy, that I would be born to a single woman living at 94 Watson between Woodward and John R. And he knew that in 2023 of August, 
that I would be called to serve the Mount Zion Baptist Church in Seattle, Washington. So on that journey, I'm indeed grateful for what God is doing. And it's good to see our Bishop Witherspoon here today as well. Yeah, I got, he's going to be talking about, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm involved with the Martin Luther King Committee, and uh, I've been checking a lot of the celebrations. They lead uh, Dr. King being a pastor out of uh, the uh, discussion. Also, there's some confusion about uh, Dr. King and elected officials. Had we not had Dr. King working with Lyndon B. Johnson and other elected officials, we wouldn't have the the voting uh, the Civil Rights Act of 64 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Okay. So uh, uh, that, that uh, and this is, like you said, this is Martin Luther King Jr. County. So uh, I would like to have, and i tell you what, uh, <clears throat> either monthly or either quarterly, I'll leave it up to you, uh, uh, Dr. Smith, uh, if you want to come in and give up a report on what you're doing, what you need help with, and stuff like that, uh, yes. that, that, that I want to give you that invitation right now publicly, because uh, I do live up to my commitments. People who are That's doing right. good, I want to make right. sure that I support them doing good. Yes, uh, and uh, so I want to see if uh, Bishop have, have a, a welcome for you before Reverend Anderson come on. Bishop, where's your weather spoon? Good to be with you all. How are you? Hey, Bishop. Uh, how are you? I am doing one step above excellent, man. God is good. I've always had a dream of playing horse with that guy to the right of you. So tell him to <laughs> tell him to bring it on. <laughs> we can still make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want none of this old school stuff. <laughs> but whatever you do, don't bet him. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> don't bet him. <laughs> I'm going to tell, tell you like one of don't tell Don't tell my Kojic friends I said this. I'm a bishop in the Lord. And one of my... This is a joke with one of my friends said, bring your checkbook. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. But no doubt. good to be with you, Brother Eddie. Okay. Well, we're looking forward to uh, having your, your share fairly soon, sir. Sure. And uh, uh, see, we've been joined by Clyde Merriweather. He and uh, Roger Evans are going to be a little later in the program. They have a three-day event coming up, uh, a, a Black Business Festival, where they're going to have workshops and stuff like that, helping wow. people up for the next three days. But... Uh, uh, I've heard quite a bit about what you're going to be doing, Dr. Smith. Like I said, uh, I, you give me enthusiasm and uh, whatever I can do to help you along the way, please let feel free to call on me, whether it's in church or out of church. And I do get involved with some issues in the community. And one thing we need to have serious uh, conversations about is the lack of economic justice in the state. In 2021, the state of Washington did 0.18% with Black-owned businesses. And uh, the governor signed uh, an executive order in January of 2022. At the end of 2022, black businesses did 0.22%. Mm -hmm. We've even tried to get Merrick Garland to uh, uh, have an investigation into the discriminatory practices. But he sent our complaint that Rep Bishop Witherspoon's name is on as well. Over to the Department of Transportation two years ago, we've not heard a peep from anybody. And this is one of the uh, issues that we have with $1.75 trillion coming down as part of uh, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act money, which is all of our money, uh, to have 10 black truckers sitting on the sidelines while our white truckers work is just uh, unacceptable. So we're going to be working on that. And we'll be needing uh, all everybody's help on that one. It might not be your child, your, your associate, your, your uh, person in your congregation, but it is an African-American that we're trying to help because if, they're, if they are successful, they can bring others on as well as uh, act as mentors once they start rolling. 
and increase uh, our level of participation. Uh, so, I want to see is so brother, Ryan, uh, brother Ryan, let, yes, me, let me add this to the to the conversation. I also I'm also a member of the UAW, right? So I go all the way back to uh, the beginning of the UAW with Walter Ruther as well as a lot of the uh, heavyweights. So I do understand some of the challenges that you have uh, that we have and that we got to face in the state. I also think that we can actually have a deeper conversation about how to develop viable businesses that be able to tap into those resources that are available, as well as be strategic in our attacks. A lot of time we're we're using methods that are outdated. We have to we have to be creative and strategic and having methods that actually are more strategic in involving the enterprises that want to help us without all of the layers of democracy as well as the layers of politics, right? So it's almost like is you have to have a gangster mentality in this white man's world because that's all that they think about, right? They got a mob mentality no matter what they do. It's legal, but it's mob mentality, right? So you have to counterthink them while they're playing checkers. You got to make sure you always playing chess with them. So what I've learned from the UAW is you have to be smarter and think seven to 10 moves ahead of them. So whatever counter punches that they give you to fight against what your progress is, you already develop a countermeasure to get around that foolishness and hit them in their pockets. The only thing white people understand is power and money. If you if you let them know that they're not going to control you with their with their power and their money and that you have enough black people who are not intimidated by the giftedness, the anointing or the leadership of somebody else that they do not know or they necessarily cannot control, then you're going to make a difference. The power of Dr. King was that when the National Baptist Convention would not support him, he had to get with a small group of men and women who understood the political and the church must have a relationship that helps both entities and institutions be able to live in a civil order as well as create an environment that's harmonious for everybody. Although the church is against pastors being political leaders, whatever that bias is, we still need to have enough leverage, enough respect, and enough weight to be able to help change public policy. I am a pastor who believes that the efforts of the black church, as well as ecumenicalism that grows across this country, can make a difference if we focus on changing public policy and not personal biases. And I think that is a great opportunity for us to have this conversation continuously, uh, Brother Rye, and do everything. And the last thing, Brother Rye, what I'm trying to do in 2024 is have a, an expungement record fair and try to get as many brothers and sisters um, records expunged and cleared so they can get a better chance so we can we can reduce the odds of them not being able to be viable candidates for jobs and entrepreneurship as well as other things that are available for them. Well, uh, Reverend Dr. Kerry Anderson from CME Church has joined. Uh, Reverend Dr. Paris Smith, the new pastor of Mount Zion, uh, Dr. Kerry Anderson, you, you want to say hi to him? Praise the Lord. Good to see you, my friend and my brother. Welcome to you, and hope you had a wonderful Christmas and looking forward That's to a prosperous new year. Thank you, Dr. Anderson. Appreciate you, my neighbor and big brother. Appreciate you. God bless I you. Hope I got Anderson on one side of me and uh, Witherspoon on the other side of me. I got to act right. <laughs> <laughs> Bishop, how uh, you Anderson, doing, my friend? Pastor Anderson, we also have Jalen Rose here. He and uh, Reverend Dr. Smith are both from Detroit. Yeah, very nice to meet you, Pastor. Thank you for joining nice us. Nice to meet you, my friend. God bless you. God bless you as well. Okay, uh, Pastor Anderson, we want you to comment about, we were having conversations about Dr. King's involvement with uh, the Civil Rights Act of 64 and the Voting Rights Act of 65, and uh, the role that, like I say, oftentimes Martin Luther King events, 
uh, the pastor, uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., is not thought of. And uh, the thing is, is that uh, had it not been for him organizing, we wouldn't have certain rights in this country that are being chipped away right now. So I'd like to have you comment on Dr. King's role in getting us the Civil Rights uh, Act of 64. Well, really, you can't separate uh, the Civil Rights Act that uh, was passed and the Black church that helped pass it. Because Dr. King was not only a Baptist preacher, but he was a national figure, a global figure, if you will. And because of his efforts and those that came before him, that's what stemmed and stimulated us to get Blacks into politics. And so when we look at the mayors across the country, they all came out of the Black church. They didn't come from the streets. They came from the church. And uh, for the most part, many people romanticize about the life of MLK because of his stirring speeches and sermons and lectures and things like that. But he was much more than just a kumbaya brother. He was a radical thinker. He was a forward-thinking pastor and leader. And really, people misunderstood the depth and the veracity of his messages because he was speaking uh, in English language, but he was speaking in prophetic uh, uh, tongue, if you will, uh, to use my brother Bishop Witherspoon's tradition. And uh, people really didn't capture the essence of, of his uh, messages. And let me, let me just go here, then I'm going to shut up. I, I was remembering an article that was written uh, from the uh, Harvard uh, Gazette. And it, and it talked about in that article that King was much more than a preacher, a Baptist preacher, but he was a political philosopher. And so when we talk about uh, the politics of, of MLK, you know, for the believer, his idea and the speech of sitting down together at the table of, of togetherness and black boys and black girls holding hands with little white boys and white girls, and that was the utopia and we'll all get along. But he was much deeper than this. He was much deeper than this. For example, King's rhetoric planted the seeds of a civil rights movement with radical ideas. Can I break it down? He's talking about economic justice. He's talking about a democratic uh, experimentation that's going to overturn the tables and the overhauling of our constitutional order in America. He's talking about a whole new revitalization of our country. Matter of fact, the politics of King is also something of note. And Brother Rye, when we talk about the politics of King, what we're talking about, when King talks about uh, Black America giving a blank or a bad check and uh, check marked insufficient funds, he's asserting that those in power are corrupt. That's what he's saying. He's saying that those who are in power are sneaky. They're swindlers, can't fully be trusted. And they're scammers. And so therefore, they are the pharaohs that need to let God's people go so that these crooked places can be made straight. The inequities can be come back to an equitable position and balance of neutrality and equilibrium. 
How, so how is this done? This is done by speaking truth to power. You know, King was very strategic on where he got arrested. He wanted to get arrested in places that would give him the most publicity, that would get the most volume. And so he, he just didn't uh, get arrested by happenstance. It was very, very strategic to bring volume to the movement. And so that's how you speak truth to power. And we have to be like John. And what I'm, this is a gospel narrative here, uh, illustration, uh, lending our voice to cry out in the wilderness until somebody hears us. And this is what King did. And his legacy continues. And we need more black politicians. We need more blacks involved in the uh, school systems as well as city hall. And this is how systemic change is going to actually happen. I yield back my time to my esteemed brothers who have <laughs> already uh, been on the line and I'm coming in, Johnny come late. So please forgive me. No, you always right on time, Reverend Dr. Kerry Anderson. But we do need to take a quick break. We'll take about 90 seconds. We're going to come back uh, and talk to uh, Bishop Whip Reggie Witherspoon about the voting rights, uh, Dr. King's role in the Voting Rights Act in 1965. And then we'll have time to talk for, for everybody else to chat. And we also will bring in the 11th grader from Lakeside High School, who's a BSU member, uh, a Seattle King County NAACP AXO first place winner in computer science and was third nationally in computer science at the Allahu. So uh, Nathan, let's take this quick break. There are long years of hurt and neglect. The whole world is doomed. Now I'm just happy that God has allowed me to live in this period to see what is unfolding. And I'm happy that he's allowed me to be in Memphis. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. At Sound Transit, we not only connect more people to more places, we're making life better for all. We're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire region of opportunities, like jobs and school. If you have an ORCA card, you can just tap and go. We have reduced fares for seniors and riders with disabilities. For adults with lower incomes, check out ORCA Lift and pay just a dollar for your ride. To plan your trip or to learn more, Visit us at soundtransit.org. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1150 KKNW. Like we are forced to live. Now, what does all of this mean in this great period of history? It means that we've got to stay together. We've got to stay together and maintain unity. You know, whenever Pharaoh wanted to 
prolonged the period of slavery in Egypt. He had a favorite, favorite formula for doing it. What was that? He kept the slaves fighting among themselves. I would appreciate that. Uh, but we do have to, I do want to give a shout out to SeaTac uh, Bar Group LLC, Ron O'Neill and Jerry Whitsett. They have the Mountain Room Bar and uh, the African Lounge on Concourse A at SeaTac. Uh, the City of Seattle's Person Construction Services Department, Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Equity and Inclusion, uh, and uh, uh, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, headed up by me and Rice. So we'll go back now to uh, Bishop Reggie Witherspoon, and I want to let everybody know we have Reverend Dr. Paris uh, Smith with us, the new pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church, uh, Reverend Dr. Kerry Anderson, senior pastor at Seattle's First Amy Church, We'll have Clyde Merriweather, and uh, we'll also have uh, 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 CEO Evans, Roger Evans, on the later. We're going to have some remarks from uh, F.A. Alehu after uh, Bishop Reggie Witherspoon comments on Dr. King's successful uh, effort to get uh, Black folks the right to vote with the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Oh, go ahead, Bishop. You have it. Well, uh, good to be with you all. Um, and again, we welcome um, Pastor Smith. Always good to see, uh, to the city of Seattle, always good to see Pastor Anderson and all you good men. Just by the way, Dr. King's final speech was there in Memphis at Mason Temple, which was built by the founder of the Church of God in Christ, the late Bishop Charles Harrison Mason, who was forward thinking way, way back when to build something of that uh, stature and um, just wanted to make that note. And I, I tell you, uh, young man getting older, I can tell you over the years, yes, we've always seen where people felt that the church should not engage in politics, particularly the minister. Well, uh, I'm glad Dr. King didn't get that memo because had he not engaged in the politics of getting that voting, uh, that, that voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act, had he not engaged in being in the Oval Office with Lyndon B. Johnson, who ultimately said one of his greatest accomplishments was the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Bill. Lyndon B. Johnson affirmed that. Uh, had Dr. King not done so, who knows, honestly, you are where we would be now? Who knows uh, what our plight would be because he was forward thinking and uh, he did what leaders do, take chances. You know, he, he went out there and he challenged the status quo. He challenged the systemic white racism that's even in the political system, and he was a voice for all of Americans, all but particularly African Americans, and he was a voice for us even today. Um, I don't know where we'd be had he not done that. And so, hey, here's what I believe, man. If you look at our world, it seems that we live in a time, I say it like this, where wrong has become right and right has become weird. It seems like those are the times we're living in. The weirder you are, the crazier the things you do the more you get affirmed in our society. What is that telling us? The church needs to engage in politics. I believe that we have the wherewithal to raise up politicians who can change the platform and the narrative of our country. If we don't do that, brothers, um, our, our children and our grandchildren, for me, grandchildren are gonna, what we're leaving them with is it's gonna be an atrocity. And so we've got to realize that politics is a pivotal part of the church's calling, Jesus, so the disciples go fishing, get some money, give it to the give it to the Pharaoh, go give, go give the governor his money. So Jesus understood politics is a way of life. 
It is where policies are enacted. It is where so many things that we do take place. And if we are not around the table, and the problem of why our politicians are so corrupt and good Lord, I don't even know what all to say, is because we need godly politicians. I'm not saying anything deep and profound. We simply need people who love God to engage in politics, who have some sense of morality. And that's who Dr. King was, man. You tell your group, he was a he was a preacher. He was a Baptist preacher who preached his last message in the Church of God in Christ Church. And he was a, he was a man who stood for the principle. He was a theologian. So what he did, man, he backed it up in scripture. He was theologically sound in all of his exploits and we owe him a debt of gratitude. So I say to the black church, honestly, the one area where we must step it up, we must be more, more present and be more cognizant to be present is in the area of politics. Um, so many things are, man, that are happening in the classrooms now. We are not even having a voice in it. So many things that are happening around our country it's because we don't have a voice. And so now they're impressing teachings upon our kids, you know, that, that really don't even fit in with our theology and with our, with our, our, our narrative and our heritage. But because we're not at the political table, Eddie, and brothers, we, we don't have a voice. And I'm mighty afraid, this is prophetic here, that if we continue along this road we're on, we will be gone. But our grandkids and great grandkids will pay a great price. And so let's get back to understanding, yes, the Bible, you know, we're in the business of saving souls and getting people spiritually in tune to where they need to be. But we're in the business of making sure that laws are enacted that are good for us. So you all remember, and I'll, I'll stop um that died i mean i believe you know the black wall street those people man it wouldn't be a black wall street if it weren't for dr king and the things that he did they got it there in tulsa oklahoma man they had banks they had hotels cafes they had clothiers they had movie theaters they had homes they had a their own school system their own educational system and this is not man and their dollar turned over about 36 to 100 times this is what we got to get back to, you guys. You know, it's good to preach sermons and tell people to shout hallelujah and, you know, and to, 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 to you know, to uh, tune preach like uh, Rev. Reverend Smith there. But it's, it's really good to get people the knowledge they need to function in society. And that happens even greater when we raise up politicians who love the Lord. The mayor of Chicago is a Church of God in Christ young man. He was born and raised in the Church of God in Christ, taking a little heat right now, but um, he's got a spiritual compass about him, and that's how we begin to move the needle in the right direction. Now, we have a young man on the program with us, F.A. Alajo. He's 11th grader at Lakeside High School. He's on the, the track team, the football team. He was an uh, uh, Axel winner, Seattle King County NAAC, the Axel winner. The top prize in computer science went back to the nationals and uh, got was the third place winner back there. I wanted him to hear this conversation because we're talking about passing stuff on to younger people and him being a member of the BSU and having a mother, Leonetta Elihu. I'm sure that he'll be involved in a lot of other things. So, F.A., we'd like to have you give uh, your impression of what you heard and what you think your commitment should be to spread to your friends about uh getting involved and getting engaged. But I do have to talk to your mother and get you on Facebook, though, because young folks need to communicate, and you don't have to get on the, the other side of it, but you need to have that communications tool. But I'll leave that up there. I don't want it to beat me up. 
So go ahead and give us your impressions of what you heard, sir. Yeah, thank you, Paparai. Um, yeah, I really think that one thing I heard was MLK being a really, Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. being a really fearless change maker. Um, I think that's something that is something I've heard before and something I think is really important because I think when you can see someone who has a goal like Martin Luther King did and how hard he fought to reach that goal, I think that's great for people to see as an example that if you have a goal or something that change you want to happen, that you can go and reach that change. So I think for sure that's an example of something uh, that I can spread to my peers and my classmates because often it's not always talked about. We had, I was just reflecting on like in elementary school learning about Dr. Martin Luther King, we kind of learned, the main thing we learned about was his speech um, and how he was kind of the guy who publicized these thoughts and the ideas about equality that in America that needed to be publicized. But I think him actually going out and making change, being fearless and doing all these actions that he did is another thing that's really important to spread that I don't think is has been talked about as much. So if you wanted, uh these pastors and Jalen Rose to uh, communicate with young people, what do you think is the best way to approach young, particularly young African-Americans? What is the best way to get the message to them about getting engaged in the political movement, the civil rights movement? Because you know, back in the day during the struggle with Dr. King, uh, the grown folks didn't go to jail because they lose their job, but the college students, high school students, Will kind of said he will kind of put the middle school and grade school uh, students in, in the fairgrounds because they ran out of room in the jail. So, so what do you think they need? To, what message would they have to have to appeal to uh, folks your age uh, to get involved in the movement? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that kind of examples of how uh, the movement can be applied to our lives because there's obviously a, a variety of things that are going on in our lives versus you all's lives in different generations. Um, but I think examples of ways that the movement can be applied, it might not be the same as how you might uh, go about spreading the movement. But I think for us, there's a lot of different ways. So some examples could be like spreading it on social media. A lot of young people are on social media. Um, I think another thing that came to mind was coming to schools and talking. We've had a few speakers come to my school that I feel like have been really impactful talking about different things, but I think the movement can be applied to that too. Okay, hey, hey, thank you very much. And I'm gonna have you back on because I want you to come back on with a good report. But uh... well, don't leave yet, F.A. <laughs> um, and this is Jalen Rose. I, I admire each of you gentlemen. Thank you guys for taking the time to be here today. Thank you, Papa Rod, for your commitment. And as somebody that spent time around FA, I'm gonna acknowledge for you a couple of ways that you are actually embodying a lot of the things that Dr. King um, talked about. Number one, you're very disciplined. You're disciplined in school, you're disciplined with sports. You're, you're creative. I've been over your place. I've seen what you're doing with your shoes and how you turn that into a business. You're an entrepreneur. And a lot of what is being discussed today, and I heard a lot about politics and I heard about school, it was almost like 
I feel like I serve as a bridge here in a lot of ways because I'm the, I'm the founder of a charter high school, an open enrollment, tuition-free public charter high school in my hometown of Detroit, right off 8 Mile and Hubble. We've been in existence for 13 years. I've had nine graduating classes. I serve 400 plus high school scholars and also our graduates, which we call secondary education, around 800 of them. Because when I started the school, I felt like a couple of things were happening in the United States. When you become a teenager, you're not considered cute and cuddly anymore as a black person. And usually when people want to come help or support or try to influence our kind, they do it with smaller kids. Why? Because they still have parental influence and they still see them as non-threatening and having innocence. Versus a 15-year-old that's been exposed to the ills of society, of what it means to be Black. Sex, drugs, violence, gangs, social media, and having to navigate in all of those spaces. And that's why I chose the route to try to give back to my community to start a school, because I felt like even if people didn't want me to do it, when I said education, it was my way to give back, they wouldn't try to block it. That's really why I went that route. And also, a 9 through 16 model just does not exist in the United States. And I say it so often, and I assume that's what people mean, understand what it means. But it means is after high school, whether it's two-year community college, four-year college, trade school, military, cosmetology, whatever our young people decide to do after high school, we're guiding them while they're in high school, but still giving them the aid while they're in secondary education. Because America has fooled us to think you can graduate from high school and get your dream job. And that's just not accurate. You can't work in McDonald's now with a high school diploma. And so I just remember being a former athlete trying to start a school. And then here's the political play that you guys mentioned that I want to bring up. People were arguing against me starting a charter school saying that I was taking students from the public school. And I remember being at a legislation meeting in Lansing, Michigan, thinking, wait a minute, I'm one of the only black people in here. I'm definitely the only Detroiter that still exists. And I'm the person that went to a Detroit public school. And all of these people who are talking about what should happen in the city don't live in Detroit, don't have kids to go to school in Detroit, and ain't trying to start a school like me in Detroit. So I'm like, this is game. And I saw, so I'm like, I got to dig a little deeper why this is happening. And then I found out, like, okay, the teachers' union is one of the biggest contributors to the Democratic Party. And the same thing with the UAW, one of the biggest contributors to the Democratic Party. So now we end up, respectfully, in a position to me where we have a Joe Biden running again and to be honest, part of what we're doing is looking at him saying we're going to vote against Trump. But the other thing we're doing is saying, and as somebody that got a chance with Angela and Papa and Mama Rod to go to the Democratic National Convention, and this is what I'll say to you, each of you, and you guys have the power and the influence to do this, who's next? That That's what frustrates me when I look at 
politics, and our people. Who's next? It's almost like when we saw Tiger Woods, we thought it was going to be more black golfers. That ain't happened. We saw Obama, we thought it was going to be more black candidates that were viable. That ain't happened. And so for me and this group, the one thing I will hope to have happen is we start to find and source new candidates that we believe in, that care about the community, that we trust, that once they get in power, then we give them that support, we can really make change. Thank you, Jalen Rose. Uh, I want to uh, call on Clive. Is Roger Evans on the line with us? Uh, Clyde Merriweather, uh, you're on the air to, to let folks know about uh, this business festival that's being held on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday uh, out in West Seattle at uh, your place. And it's uh, the name of their organization is the Washington State Black Legacy Institute and also the Seattle Rio Project. So, Clyde, go right ahead. Well, first of all, uh, I'm off mute. Mute. Yes, you are now. All right. Well, gentlemen, uh, first of all, uh, appreciate your conversation and, and your insights. Um, definitely, uh, I agree with everything that you had to say. Uh, what we're doing this weekend is having, uh, let me start at the beginning. The Washington State uh, Black Legacy Institute is trying to do more than be a place that just archives material and actually provides a service to the Black community and, and some knowledge. Um, so what we do is we have a number of workshops that we're doing as well as a uh, business bazaar uh, covering everything from how you dress, uh, international business planning, how to buy your first house, uh, money management skills, um, much more than that. But for me, I'm primarily involved in the uh, Seattle Griot Project, which is uh, basically tasked to reconstruct the central area of Seattle. Uh, for the community that it was between 1945 to about 1995, when we were actually an institution and vibrant, and when our kids themselves were able to walk out the door and see black professionals that look like them. Now they're spread all over the South End, and there are like six families here, six families there. They're seeing the same news and the same information that all the white kids are seeing. And so it's not like I'm seeing my lawyer, my doctor, my pharmacist, or even my preacher necessarily, now that I'm in that another neighborhood. The other reason for my motivation was hooking up with uh, Patty Murray and, and a couple other people and bringing Raphael Warnock up here to raise money for his campaign and finding out that the lady that was primarily in charge lived in Queen Anne Hill had been in Seattle for 30 years. And all she knew about Seattle was Queen Anne Hill going around to Bellevue and she's servicing our neighborhood. So, so doing deeper dive into that, finding out that uh, most of the white folks that are moving in the CD don't even know they displaced anything. They're just moving to the next piece of property. It was the next best deal. It's the next thing downtown. And so what happened to our people, of course, is you bought the house in 1940s for $43,000. They offered you a half million dollars for your property. You thought you made money. And as soon as you walked out the door, it was worth $150 million, you know? So we didn't understand our own knowledge, our own property, our own access, our own leverage. And so trying to get back into that, you know, creating the Africa town is a nice idea, but the neighborhood doesn't exist. And, 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 and to a great extent, as I dig deeper into it, you know, we moved into the central area, um, basically compliments of the Jewish neighborhood letting us in. Uh, so that's our route. But at the same time, if you really track that, they moved us into the houses. They didn't move us into the businesses. And to have a real community, you have to have the power to maintain your own community, not just be a service provider. So basically, for 70 years, as far as I'm concerned, Black folks were a placeholder. And now that they need the property, we've been kicked out. 
and it's not something that unique to Seattle. It's it's pretty much a national thing right now. So so we can talk about the Black Wall Street. I don't even know we could move to create ourselves a Black Wall Street in this country at this time. Um, but back to the issue, um, three days uh, worth of information. Uh, we put it out there to the public. I've got already 200 people that signed up for the workshops. Uh, and so if you have an opportunity, gentlemen, uh, stop by, at least take a look at what we're doing out here. And the address is 2656 42nd Avenue in West Seattle. It's not hard to find. Just go across the, the bridge and go to uh, Admiral Way, go to 42nd and take a left. And that's where we are on the end of the block. So uh, that's what we're doing. Um, I'm excited about it. Uh, the real thinkers behind this have been uh, Roger Evans and um, Charlie James in the background. I'm a facilitator as much as I can be. It's just a good idea. And it's a chance for you young folks to come on out here and learn something about how to survive in this country and how to get ahead. So that's the basic. Uh, thank you very much, Clyde. Can you uh, mention some of the workshops and the fact that folks have to sign up to Eventbrite? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, you do have to sign up for the workshops. I'll pull up this information again over here on my page. So uh, on Friday, there's a workshop on um, dressing, on international business planning, on uh, knowledge is power, and it begins with early childhood education, scaling your business in a social network. Uh, on Saturday, uh, there's David Stubblefield dealing with uh, money mindset, money moves, and money mastery, international business planning, uh, fundraising for community ventures and scaling up your businesses, first-time home buyers, grant writing, and on Saturday, how the community can show up in the Black community in, the, in terms of maternity health crisis. First-time home buyers, once again, food is first and fundraising for community ventures. So that that's what's on the agenda for the speaking. And the uh, main floor is just going to have a number of businesses doing a, a general bazaar. Thank you very much, Clyde Merriweather. Nathan, do I have another break to take for 90 seconds? Well, Good. Roger. Yeah, Roger, well, I got to put Roger on. For, Roger, you got about two minutes before we take this break. Go ahead. Um, so um, the, the Washington State Black Legacy Institute, um, which is in West Seattle now, um, we migrated from the, the original Griot project uh, infrastructure and moved um, from Columbia City up to West Seattle. Um, we are um, spearheading uh, the pioneers. We're making, we're, we're, we're making an exhibit to honor and respect the pioneers and hopefully follow in some of their footsteps. Uh, believe it or not, we have found evidence that even though we didn't see it in the same light, there was a Wall Street in our communities, and it was scattered from all over the state. We have stuff in Bremerton, stuff in uh, Grandview, stuff in Vancouver, stuff in Seattle, stuff in Tacoma. Um, a lot of great people, a lot of great names that were basically even hit, hidden from in the early 1920s and 30s. Um, you're going to be able to experience it here at the Washington State Black Legacy Institute. Charlie and I are immersing ourselves in the and in, in putting curricula together to help develop for some of the young folks. So not only they they will be able to learn about these pioneers, but maybe even to create strategies so that they can make money too. Thank you, Roger. I got to get this break in. I don't want to lose no money. <laughs> well, we had to take this quick break and come right back, uh, Nathan. What will happen to me? The question is, 
If I do not stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to them? That's the question. Let us rise up tonight with a greater readiness. At Sound Transit, we not only give people more reliable ways to get around, we're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire system of opportunities, like jobs, school, friends and family, and to the airport. Our commitment to economic development provides opportunities for women and people of color to compete fairly for Sound Transit contracts. All of this helps our regional workforce grow and thrive. Go to soundtransit.org and search DBE to learn more. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150. The blade was on the edge of my aorta, the main artery. And once that's punctured, you're drowned in your own blood. That's the end of you. So anyway, uh, uh, I want to thank you guys all for taking time out today. I'm glad that uh, Epe sounded like he had a lecture today. <laughs> so he grasped quite a bit of what uh, they heard from the elders. I want to thank my co-hosts for today's program, Jalen Rose, thank you. Uh, Reverend Dr. Paris Smith, Miles Lyon, I'm going to come up there and hear you preach, brother. I will be there and look forward to struggling with you in the speech. Reverend Dr. Kerry Anderson and Bishop Reggie Witherspoon, uh, we do have a history of struggling together. Yeah. And I'm glad y'all prayed for my wife. She came through the surgery okay. That's and uh, that's, that's been a blessing. And Mr. F.A., you keep on. You're a natural leader. And you got to get on that uh, at communications network. You got to have social media so you can organize your group. Uh, I also want to thank Roger Evans and, and uh, Brother Clyde Merriweather uh, for their time. And I also want to thank the City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Department, Sound Transit's uh, Office of Civil Rights, Equity, and Inclusion, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, SeaTac Bar Group with uh, the African Lounge and Mountain Room Bar out of Concourse A, and that's owned by Jerry Whitsett and Ron O'Neill. And I want to wish all of you a happy new year and hope to see you soon. And the event will be at Garfield January 15th. That's the holiday workshops, opportunity fair, rally, and march with new fervor because we got to stand up for things ready to change in this country for the worse if a certain person is reelected. It looked like if five people running, his 35% will prevail. So thank you very much, Nathan, for your time today. We appreciate you. But I'm so happy that you didn't sneeze. And I want to say tonight, I want to say tonight that I, too, am happy that I didn't sneeze, because if I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1960, 
when students all over the South started sitting in at lunch counters. 